If you would please open up your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Last week, we started by looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. This morning, we'll continue on with the teaching of our Lord in verses 25 through 34. But for the sake of context, we'll start back again with verse 19 and then read through the entirety of the text. I'll read it, then I'll pray for us. This is the teaching of our Lord. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to receive these words. Help us to hear what our Lord is teaching us. And Lord, help us to not be anxious. That we might be focused on what is truly important. Your kingdom and your righteousness, would you set Christ squarely in front of us today, that we might glory in him and him alone. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We started last week to look at two teachings of our Lord there on the Sermon uh, on the Mount, two important teachings that Jesus gives back to back. I might remind you last week, we, we were asking some important questions from the teaching of Christ. Questions like, what do you treasure? What do you love? What do you set your heart onto? What are you looking to? And then finally at the end, what do you serve? And we're trying to ask ourselves and analyze our own hearts, how worldly have I become? How attached to the things of this life have I truly become? Or instead, am I treasuring Christ. But I want you to see that there is a connection between that text, that teaching, and this teaching we have before us 
today. They are back-to-back for an important reason. I like the way that Sinclair Ferguson connects these two texts. In the first place, we see the diagnosis that Jesus gives. He is the great physician, and he is diagnosing our problem, which is a false treasure. And in the second place, he is pointing out the symptom, the symptom of our disease. He's pointing out that it results in anxiety. And so we need to see the relation between these two things. That is to say that if you treasure the world, you will be anxious. If you aren't focused on Christ, then the result will be that you are fearful and lost and confused. And if you're trying to serve two masters, then you will be pulled and you will be stretched and you will be divided and it will be a greatly uncomfortable experience. I've got two points for us this morning to break down the text. First, we need to see the problem of anxiety, the problem of anxiety, and then second, the solution. How does Christ set us free to uh, not be anxious? Well, first, let's start with the problem of anxiety. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. And so we need to ask ourselves, we need to define the terms. What does it mean to be anxious? What does that mean and what does it not mean? And I, this is important for us because there is some confusion about what anxiety is. That's a, a term in the modern day that means really all sorts of different things. It has a wide lexical range of meaning. And so we might be thinking, what is Jesus talking about here? For example, on one side of the spectrum we might think, is Jesus talking about somebody who's just a bit shy? Uh, maybe a bit uncomfortable around other people or social situations or something like that. A jumpy person. Or we might think on the far other end of the spectrum is Jesus talking about panic attacks and anxiety disorders and something that's mentally diagnosed and perhaps doctors give us medicine for. And I want to say right at the beginning that I don't think Jesus is directly touching any of those things that I just mentioned. He's not directly addressing any of those things, although they are related. He's not directly addressing them. Rather, Jesus is talking here about giving thought to something. About giving thought to something which is really outside of your control. It is overthinking. It is to be overly concerned or overly worried or overly invested in what you're not supposed to be overly invested in. J.C. Ryle, for example, calls this word over-carefulness, caring too much. In other words, it's very similar to what we've been discussing last week, putting second things first, putting second things in front of the first things. It's having an improper valuation, and that is overthinking, that is anxious thinking. It could also be thought of in this way. This anxiousness that Jesus is talking about is an overestimation of ourselves. It is when we imagine that we are in control, that all of the burdens of our life rest upon us, and what do we do as a result? We do not rely upon God. We do not entrust ourselves to him, and we do not walk by faith. That's why Matthew Henry, for example, calls this anxiety a distrustful, unbelieving thought. Well, that's what it is. What is it not? I also want to be careful here. 
What is Jesus not talking about when he talks about anxiety? Well, he isn't talking about responsible stewardship. He's not saying, don't be responsible about the things you have in this world. He isn't saying, be happy-go-lucky. He isn't saying, go with the flow, or whatever happens, happens, and don't bother with anything. He's not discounting hard work, investing your money, planning for the future, taking care of your family and your friends and your relatives. He's not discounting any of that. That would fly in the face of much of the scriptural teaching. Give you a few examples from Proverbs 27. What does Solomon tell us? He says, know well the flocks, the condition of your flocks, and give attention to your herds. So we need to be wise stewards over what we have. That's not anxiety. Give you another example in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Paul says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And so that certainly is not what Jesus is talking about. What he is talking about is over-caring about those things. Over-fixation on those things. And what are the things that Jesus singles out for us? I'll point you to a couple of verses here. What are the things he says to not be anxious for? Look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Then go to verse 31. He says something very similar. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Then one more time at the end of the text in verse 34. Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus is isolating a couple of things here, four things uh, particularly. Food, drink, clothing, and our future. In other words, these are just the small things in our life, right? Unimportance. No, he's going for the big things. He's going for things that we understand are necessary. We need these things. We need to have these things. They're necessities. What's Jesus saying? Do not be anxious for your earthly care. Don't be anxious for your health. Don't be anxious for your life. Don't be anxious for your possessions. Don't be anxious for your daily necessities. Don't even be anxious for tomorrow. What will happen? How will I get what I need? What will happen to me then? Where will my necessities be brought from? We shouldn't be anxious about our life. That's what he says. He summarizes all of this by saying, don't be anxious for your life. Well, why not? He gives three reasons. Three reasons we should not be anxious for our life. First, he tells us there are more important things for us to be thinking about. There's more important things. Look at verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It's very simple. Life is more than our physical necessities. Life is more than our livelihoods. It's more than our careers. It's more than our money and our bank accounts. It's more than our homes and our possessions. It's greater than all of those things. Those are not the sum total of who we are and what we're about. The greatest good is not material wealth. The chief end of man is not materialism. Our greatest good is not increasing the amount of stuff that we have. It's not increasing our comforts in this life. It is not increasing our standard of living. That is not the most important thing. That's a secondary, not the most important. 
So we need to guard our hearts against this kind of anxiety. And anxiety for physical things, of making our livelihoods the main priority in our life. That's the first thing. There's more important things that we need to look at. Secondly, Jesus tells us that anxiety produces nothing. Anxiety produces nothing. Look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What's Jesus doing here? Well, he's asking a rhetorical question. What value does your anxious, uh, hurried life give you? What do your anxious thoughts actually bring to the table? And he's telling you they bring nothing to the table. They don't lead to gain. They don't increase your productivity. They don't clear your mind and help you focus. Instead, they, they do the opposite, don't they? They burden you. They frustrate you. They, in a sense, hold you down. I like the way that Matthew Henry uh, once again describes the effect of anxious thinking in our life. He says this. He says, it's a disquieting, tormenting thought which hurries the mind and hangs it in suspense, which disturbs our joy in God and is a damp upon our hope in him, which breaks the sleep and hinders our enjoyment of ourselves, of our friends, and of what God has given us. In other words, anxiety actually doesn't accomplish anything. It does not increase your life. It does not prolong it. Rather, it only robs us of joy. The third reason that Jesus gives, and this one is perhaps the most important. He tells us, do not be anxious because anxiety is the mark of the Gentiles. Anxiety describes the unbelieving life and the unbelieving worldview. Look at verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here, uh, the Gentiles are described by their anxious living, by their over-caring for the things of this earth. Their greatest possessions, their greatest goods are their earthly goods. And we know the result of this very naturally as we observe the world around us. What's the result of anxious living? Well, we look around and we see people who are jealous and people who are envious and people who are convinced that they do not have enough and that they must get more. We look around and we see people who are thieving and who are murderous, taking what does not belong to them. We look around and we see complainers and we see grumblers and we see discontents and we see those who are unsatisfied and unhappy with their lot in this world. All of this flows from anxious living, anxiety over earthly things. And here's what's so important for us as believers. This is a great part of our witness to the world. When we see the world around us and when they see us, they need to see that we are different. They need to see that we are not like them. They need to see that our treasures are not in the same storehouse as their treasures. They need to see that we are satisfied whether we have a little or a lot. They need to see that we have happiness in Christ and that is bound up in him and that cannot be taken away. What does that do? What well, leaves the world wondering, how did they get like that? How do they have so little anxiety and such great joy? Well, that brings me to my second point, the solution. How did we get like that? What is the solution to anxiety? 
according to Jesus. He gives us two things here. It's a two-part solution to our anxiety. The first thing is that we need a proper perspective on the providence of God. Jesus wants us to take a step back and simply acknowledge the God who is there. In other words, why should we not be anxious? Because God is our caretaker. He's our father. He's our shepherd. He is our overseer. He is watching over us at every moment. You think of Philippians 4, 6. What does Paul say? He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Notice the relationship. Because the Lord is at hand, therefore be anxious for nothing. It is God who watches over his creation. It's God who cares for the creatures that he has made. And it reminds us that everything we have comes from God. You see, we know this better than anyone else. That self-sufficiency is an illusion. What we have is what God has given to us. Our lot in life is by the providential hand of God. And what is Jesus' evidence for this? I love what he does. He says, look at creation. Look at creation. Study the natural revelation of God. What is revealed about God in the natural order or in the light of nature? In other words, Jesus is saying, be a, a good theologian not only of the word of God, but be a good theologian of the world of God. Exegete the world just as you study and exegete the word of God. Look at what he says in verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So look at the birds, and what are we meant to see? Well, the, the birds don't have sophisticated methods of work. They do not farm, and they do not store, and they do not preserve food. They, in every sense, have less ability than we do. They have less tools at their disposal. And yet, do you ever wonder if the birds will be there in the morning? Do you ever wonder if the birds will be chirping 6 a.m. right outside your bedroom window? You might not want them to be there, but you never worry if they will be there. God takes care of them. He feeds them. And Jesus draws a comparison here. He says, are you not more valuable than they? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God feeds the birds, mere creatures like that, how much more so will he care for you? You are the pinnacle of God's creation. You're made in the image of God. You're made to reflect the glory of God, the character of God. Certainly, if God cares for birds, he will care for his prized creation. Look at the birds and see. Look again at verse 28 through 30, another similar example Jesus gives. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Once again, step back, get outside, and look at the lilies. Take a look at the flowers. Take a look at the plant life that God has made. And what are you meant to see? They don't toil. They do not spin. They are not anxious for their clothing. And yet they are beautifully clothed. In fact, God is saying, you and all of your beauty could never match the beauty of the flowers. Even Solomon, with all of his wealth 
and all of his beautiful clothing could not be as beautiful as the flowers that God has made. And what's God saying? Those flowers are not as valuable as you. Those flowers are here today and then they're gone tomorrow. They're thrown into the oven. They're hardly worth a second glance. But what about you? God has not made you for one day and then to be tossed. He's made you for eternity. He has made you for an eternal life with him. How much more precious are you then? How much more valuable in the eyes of God are you? What's Jesus doing here? He wants you to see the world around you, to see the order and the harmony and the beauty of this world, and then to see the God behind it, to see the God of providence, to see his power and to see his patient and his thorough care and attention for the creatures that he has made. We need to see not only the systems of this world, but the God behind the systems. And he is the one who directs this world. He guides all things. He controls all things. I'll just read to you what our uh, confession of faith says about the providence of God. And I want you to think about the God who is so big that you have. It says, God, the creator of all things, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. By his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise and glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. What's the first step? It's not in seeing yourself as bigger. It's not in uh, building yourself up and convincing yourself that you can take on the world. It's in fact seeing how small you truly are and how wonderfully big and powerful and, and good God is. See the bigness of God. That's the first thing. A second thing that Jesus tells us for the solution to anxiety, he tells us we need to put first things first. We need to prioritize what God is prioritizing. And if we don't, the result will always be anxiety. Look at verse 33, where Jesus summarizes the whole teaching. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The beginning of the sermon, we asked, what is anxiety? And we said, it's overthinking, it's overcaring about the wrong things. It's over-evaluating second things. But what's Jesus telling you here? When it comes to the kingdom of God, you cannot overthink it. You cannot care too much. You cannot be too invested with the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is the most important thing, seeking the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, certainly it means several things, but let me just name a few. Seeking the kingdom of God first means knowing the God of the kingdom. It means knowing who God is and his character and his nature, and his attributes. It means knowing his will and his plan. Seeking the kingdom means knowing the king, knowing who Jesus Christ is, knowing his reign and his authority and his word. It means knowing the way into the kingdom, that it is a way of faith and of laying down ourselves before the king. We need to seek the kingdom by seeking the glory of the kingdom by hoping for its blessings, by looking to its treasures rather than the treasures of this world. 
We seek the kingdom first by promoting the kingdom. That is, we see ourselves as witnesses for the kingdom, praying for the expanse and the growth of that kingdom. And I think it means understanding our role in the kingdom of God, that we, we take great pains to know what is my place as a citizen in God's kingdom. How do I now relate to God's people in love and in unity? This is priority number one, Jesus tells us. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Everything else comes secondary. Everything else in our life is, is a footnote, it is additional, it is secondary. And they're only, in, they're only valuable insofar as they promote the first thing. We've got to get this principle right. We've got to put first things first. We need to ask ourselves this morning, have we become anxious before God? Have we become anxious? Have we become overly concerned with secondary things? Unduly uh, fixated upon things that are not as important as God's kingdom. What does Christ say to you today? Seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will follow. Seek first the kingdom of God and the rest will follow. We could ask ourselves another question this morning. Have we perhaps become anxious due to our own arrogance? Have we started to think that the world really does revolve around me and it rests on me? Have you started to overestimate your own role and your own abilities and your own skills, thinking that without you, everything in your life and in the life of those you love will begin to crumble and fall apart? If you are not there, well, then we would all be in great trouble. Have we started to convince ourselves of that? If so, then we need to hear the words that Peter gives us in 1 Peter 5, what does he say? He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, casting all of your anxieties on him. And notice what Peter does there. He's connecting arrogance and anxiety. When we have convinced ourselves that we are capable in our own strength, then we will be anxious, anxious people. Maybe an illustration is in due, in order. You can think of a large company, a massive company with thousands of employees, and you could think of who might be at the very bottom of that company. We'll just take the janitor. What's the janitor's job? Well, it's to do what he's told. It's to clean. It's not the janitor's job to make sure that the company is staying afloat. It's not the janitor's job to make sure that the company is hitting all of its numbers and hitting all of its quotas and making all of its marks. He's not the one steering the ship. That's for CEOs and managers and CFOs and men like that. Well, in a similar sense, God is telling you just do your job. And what is that job? It's to be faithful to the word of God. It's to be humble under God's hand. And it's to seek first the glory of his own kingdom. And let him take care of all the rest. You see, this morning, Jesus is calling us away from petty anxiety. He's calling us to put first things first and second things second, to fix ourselves on his glory and his kingdom. And really, to summarize, Jesus just wants you to trust him. He, he wants you to see that he's good, that he's powerful, and that he can take care of you. And most importantly, he wants you to follow him faithfully. He wants you to set before your eyes his kingdom 
and his righteousness. Hear the word of Christ today. Do not be anxious for your life. Let's pray.